Federal officials, hospitals, and tech companies have spent more than a decade and billions of dollars on digitizing our healthcare records. Before that, we were the laggards of the industrialized world. We've come a long way, but a lot of critical data are still locked away in old systems. If you request your health records from a hospital, you might wait weeks only to end up with something called a CD-ROM and hundreds of pieces of paper. Starting today, October 6th, a federal rule says that's no longer good enough. Hospitals and doctors must start giving patients a whole lot more data quickly and electronically. Much easier said than done. Today, a conversation with Mickey Trapathy, the federal health official in charge of digitizing and democratizing the country's healthcare data. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Mickey Trapathy's official title is National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, and he definitely does a lot of coordinating. He also does a lot of coaxing. At a basic level, his job is to get highly competitive hospitals, insurers, doctors, and tech companies to play nice, agree on rules and systems for sharing patient data. When that doesn't work, you need Congress. What a day and what a moment. I could not think of a better way to end the year than by signing this bill. The year, 2016, and lawmakers were congratulating themselves for passing what's called the 21st Century Cures Act. You know, this is a classic example of incredible bipartisan cooperation. Tucked deep in the bill was a ban on bad behaviors where hospitals, doctors, or tech companies make it harder to share patient data. Some of the doctors call this data blocking. Health information blocking. Data blocking. For more than a decade, data blocking has left dangerous gaps in patient health records, forcing doctors to fill them with tedious phone calls, redundant and expensive tests, or even educated guesses. The federal ban on information blocking finally began to take effect last year. The latest phase kicks in today, October 6th, and Mickey and his team at the Department of Health and Human Services are in charge of overseeing it. A quick note, we spoke to Mickey from his 80-something-year-old mom's house, where he's helping her recover from a broken hip. So you might hear her making lunch using the microwave, or her old grandfather clock striking the hour. I'm going to pause here for a second. There's a grandfather clock. That... <laughs> Enjoy the music. <laughs> oh, we did. On to the episode. So, Mickey, at a super high level, in just two sentences, why is October 6th a big day? October 6th is a big day because we're saying if data is electronically accessible, meaning it's on a computer system somewhere in your hospital, you're required to make it available electronically. Patients deserve more healthcare data, right? That's the basic premise. We're saying it is electronic, it's digitally there, so make it available. Can you give us a really tangible example, Mickey? What's a patient going to be able to do on October 6th that they could not have done on October 5th? Yeah, so it's going to vary a lot, but conceptually, starting on October 6th, a patient ought to be able to see that what is offered to them or available to them is more than who are, you know, your first name, last name, your address, um, your allergies. 
So for example, you might start to see, oh, wow, there's a whole set of like notes, nursing notes, or my operative notes from my, you know, from my last surgery, um, or some of the images from my last imaging. Those are starting to be made available to you electronically. Just a quick housekeeping question, Mickey. Already on October 5th, patients have the right to say, you need to share my data with me, right? Yes. You can walk into that hospital today and say, I can get all my records. And what they'll do is they'll say, well, your patient portal has a whole bunch of it. And then for the rest of it, we will provide you a paper copy. You're able to sort of look in and say, all right, I get this little straw. But what I want is kind of the entire river. The difference between the fifth and the sixth is now I get a bigger, I get, I have a bigger straw. It's the big gulp straw. Yes. So that's the concept and that's what we want to get to. And the the reason I'm hedging on that is that we're starting to get into areas where the data is really not standardized and it's really messy. Messy how? We've made a choice to say, you know what, we can't wait to have all these data elements neatly and crisply defined so they fit into that straw. So you could get it in one format from one hospital, in another format from another hospital. And right now we're saying... That's fine. We have to live with that for now. The important thing is to make it available. This sounds like a very laissez-faire approach from the federal government, Mickey. Like, why not be more prescriptive? Tell hospitals how you want this data formatted to make sure it's really useful for people. If we end up deciding that, you know what, more regulation is needed to make that happen, well, that on an ongoing basis, those are the kinds of things that we always consider. But we also don't want to overregulate because, you know, we don't want to sort of jump ahead into areas that are still very dynamic. And, you know, because we could get it precisely wrong in many ways as the federal government, right? And undoing that is then like, oh, great. You know, you've imposed, you know, a floppy disk 3.5 standard on an industry that (laughs) has has jumped ahead to fiber optics. Um, So let's, you know, let's be cautious here and and see what the market can do and then be judicious in how we, you know, sort of intervene. What, what about hospitals? What does October 6th mean for them as systems, these like behemoths with massive back office operations? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely very, it's very complicated. First thing is that they need to do is, you know, where is all this patient data? And then how am I going to mobilize that in as close to real time as possible when Dan comes knocking and asking for that information? And that's not an easy problem to figure out because in a hospital system, you know, we tend to think about the electronic health record system, Epic, Cerner, whatever it is. But hospital systems also have lots of ancillary systems, you know, chemo dosing, cardiology, anesthesiology systems. They could be 10 years old, 15 years old. Those systems were never designed for, oh, we have a query coming in from Dan. We need to immediately have the ability to go and get that information assemble it with all the other pieces of information and present it back to Dan in the portal in real time. So thinking through all of those policies, capabilities, and workflows. So it's complicated. We appreciate that it's complicated. What signs of gaming, Mickey, are you looking for from health systems? Like if a hospital wanted to get around the real intent of this rule, how might they do that? And I ask that question because... We've seen other data laws like hospital price transparency, and we've seen health systems be really reluctant to comply. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. Um, My office defined eight exceptions that allows a provider organization to say, well, I know I'm required to make this information available. However, I can't for one or a couple of these eight reasons. One is privacy. 
Another might be that you're not able to deliver it to them electronically, what we call infeasibility. So there's certainly opportunity for people to interpret things, you know, uh, you know, more broadly, perhaps, than is intended. I mean, that, you know, that is there. And what's the stick that you have to beat them back? In terms of the stick, what is the stick? Well, it's, it's complicated. Is there anything at ONC that is not complicated? No, unfortunately. <laughs> and, you know, and the reality of this is we're not doing real-time monitoring of this. We don't have the, you know, sort of the exception police. On the other hand, ONC has a portal where you're allowed to file complaints. And we take those complaints and we do an initial vetting of them. And then we send them over to the Office of the Inspector General, who's, who's responsible for enforcement. That enforcement is expected to include fines of up to $1 million per incident for vendors like electronic health record companies with regulatory details out by the end of the year. There's no stick yet for doctors and hospitals who engage in information blocking. Mickey and his colleagues are still figuring out what kind of punishment is best. The timeline for that is TBD. When we come back, the downside of giving patients all this data and where Mickey hopes healthcare records head next. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back. We're talking today with Mickey Tripathi, the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at HHS. He's the federal official charged with digitizing the country's health data and getting it flowing freely and safely to patients and everyone else that plays a role in our care. For the second half of our conversation, I asked Mickey to put this October 6th milestone in some larger context for us. We started with the question about the consequences if these efforts fall short. I mean, the stakes are that you show up someplace where you need care and information that is critical to that clinician on the ground is not available to them. Showing up in the emergency department and being prescribed penicillin when you're allergic to penicillin. And, you know, right now, how do they figure that out? They ask you, right? Well, what if you're in trauma? What if you're elderly? We never know when we're going to you know, be in that situation where a clinician doesn't know everything about us and they're making decisions on the fly because they have to go with the best information they have. We want to make sure that they actually have the best information rather than the best information that they just happen to have. So this October 6th change, it's the latest phase of a much larger push that the federal government and industry have been making for the last decade to put our healthcare data to better use. Mickey, can you zoom out for a second and kind of map this journey for us? Like, where have we been? Where are we now? Where are we going next? Well, 
If you just think about this, you know, this 10-year journey you were just describing. In 2010, we invested as a country, as taxpayers, about 30 to $40 billion, moving the whole system from paper-based to electronic. You know, an amazing accomplishment over a relatively short period of time. And that's kind of what we did over these last 10 years. It's like, let's just get the electronic health records in place so that everyone has them and create this digital foundation. But now we have the opportunity here to create an open ecosystem, as we call it, where data can flow on demand and that systems are interactive um, in a way that they're not today. What's an example of that? Like, how can our healthcare data be more, as you say, interactive? Think about how Kayak and Expedia work today, right? You log on, you say, I'm flying to San Francisco and I want to fly tomorrow. And it immediately gives you back the information you're looking for. They don't have a big honking database of all the airline schedules <laughs> in the world that they update every night, right? They don't do that. What they do is in the background, they have interfaces, APIs, we call them, that fire off on demand, that go to JetBlue, that go to American Airlines, and they bring those, that information in and present it to you in real time. That's what we want our healthcare system to be able to do. On the one hand here, Mickey, you're giving patients easier access to their data, but at the same time as, and I know you know this, you're opening the door up to privacy and security questions, at least theoretically. It's easy to imagine a patient unintentionally sharing all their data with some tech company app and all that information leaks out. And I'm thinking of the recent Dobbs Supreme Court decision, for example, it seems possible that someone's health record in the wrong hands could be used to figure out whether they've had an abortion. How's your team thinking about those kinds of risks and trying to mitigate them? I mean, those are very real risks. So the first thing I would say is that for patients in particular, getting their information, they need to be incredibly diligent about the apps that they're using for their healthcare information. Instead of doing what you and I do all the time, we download an app, user agreement, click, 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 just get me to the damned app, please. You know, you can do it for all your other stuff, right? But don't do it, don't do it for, for, for your financial stuff, but definitely don't do it for your health information stuff. Here's the problem. Once the information leaves the boundaries of HIPAA, it no longer has the kind of protections that unfortunately people think it does have. They don't realize that HIPAA attaches to the data only when it's in the hands of certain organizations, like a health insurer, like a hospital, like a doctor. But the minute that that gets into an app, it no longer has those protections. So I think what you're saying here, Mickey, is basically that HIPAA, the main federal law that protects patients' healthcare data, just doesn't apply. If a patient, for example, breezes through a user agreement for some third-party app and doesn't realize they just gave the green light to sell all their health data, they're out of luck. Are, are you guys doing anything else to try to protect people? So what we're trying to do is, first off, impress upon everyone the need to educate patients. Um, because, you know, we strike a balance here, right? You don't want to say well, we're not going to provide information to patients. We want to be able to say we are providing information to patients because we think that they will be in a better position to participate more actively in their own care and benefit from that. But that benefit comes with certain risks and they need to you know, understand those risks. And there's an obligation on providers and others to educate patients about it. But I mean, this is clear, Mickey. This could be a disaster for patients. So it's not just healthcare data. It's like all other data. 
And so we just need to you know, recognize that patients need to be very, very, very diligent and cognizant of the fact that that information now is in a different you know, sort of status. And they are the ones who actually have the primary responsibility for making sure that it doesn't get into apps that they don't trust. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things I think we also need to acknowledge here is that people can make inferences about your health from data that doesn't live in your electronic health record. Let's say I wake up with a backache. I reached over, picked up my Google Pixel. You do a search on, you know, backstream. And then the next day, right, you make an appointment with your provider. Oh, my Google Pixel phone knows all of that, right? So you get my point. Not to scare you, but, I, you know, all of us need to recognize there's a lot more information out there that people can make inferences about than we probably appreciate. And your health status is a part of that. Too late, Mickey. We're scared. Don't be scared. Be diligent. (laughs) There you go. That's a good note to end on. Uh, Mickey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on Tradeoffs. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Really enjoyed it. Even with this rule in full effect, lobbying over it continues. Last month, the American Medical Association called on HHS to give doctors more discretion to block patients from seeing certain information too quickly, like a cancer diagnosis before they've gotten enough context. Just last week, the AMA also signed onto a letter with the American Hospital Association and several other major medical groups asking to delay today's deadline by another year. I'm Dan Gornstein. This is Tradeoffs. The pandemic unleashed a slew of changes to the laws that dictate who can care for patients when, where, and how. This is the wild west of the health workforce arena. Now these temporary fixes are starting to expire, which should stay and which should go. These and other big questions looming over the country's healthcare workforce next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Additional thanks to Julia Adler Milstein. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Susan Beltzer and Mark Zitter. Our media partner is SideFX Public Media based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Scan Foundation, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sozose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.